Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that may well be aghast at the prospect of Burnley v Crystal Palace being played in an empty stadium and shown at 2pm on a Saturday on the BBC, with subs instructed to wear masks and players instructed to turn away when tackled, and just so TV rights can be fulfilled. But ultimately, all of that's far better than another repeat of Escape to the Country. With yesterday's confirmation of football's imminent return, we couldn't have been blessed with a better guest today, because we're joined by a representative of the 1894 Group, an independent organisation that came into existence in 2013 with the aim of improving the atmosphere at Manchester City Games. And since then, they've grown in stature with thousands of Blues as members, and crucially with the ear of a club too. You may be a member, you may have only heard of him, or you may be unaware of him. Either way, listen in, because I think this could well be a really interesting chat. So let's welcome our guest, uh, Dante Friend. How are you, Dante? You okay, mate? Hi, Steve. How are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. How's how's lockdown life treating you? Um, all right. I went a bit depressed a couple of months ago and a bit anxious. Um, and then I've been out on the uh, been out on the source in town. Actually, there's a few backstreet pubs that are open, Castlefield and the Northern Quarter. And you sort of go in. Uh, and they serve it in plastic cups, and you go and sit on a park bench and have a drink. So yeah. um, um, I'm just looking forward to things getting back to normal as soon as possible, really. Um, um, seeing the trams going by with you know people on them and thinking, yeah, I'd be prepared to go back on the trams again. So just hoping that we're over the worst and um, just, just desperate for, a, you know, everything to be back to normal, including the football. Yeah, I mean... Talking of the football, it's kind of was returning to half normality, I guess, in, in a couple of weeks' time. And, and we'll get onto that, the kind of the idea of playing behind closed doors. But as regards to the 1894 group, let's kind of go back to the beginning. And can you explain to listeners kind of who you guys are and what the group does? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, most of us have been going for years and years. You know, I've been going since the early 80s. Uh, I was lucky enough to get a few years on the old Kipax Terrace as a teenager. So, Obviously, I have that atmosphere in me, and I'm from a blue family. My kids are you know, fifth-generation blues, and many of us are like that. You know, we're all sick through and through, and we all, you know, suffer in the bad old days where the atmosphere kind of looked after itself, you know. Mm. Um, but, you know, when the money came in, the fan base changed a bit, and I think the media's portrayal of the club and of the fan base changed too. So the name 1894 is really a nod to the traditions of the club. You know, we weren't formed in 2012. We were formed uh, as Manchester City in 1894 and as Gorton St. Mark's and Ardwick before that. So there's always a case for the fans who've been going to retain the voice and not get squeezed out um, as the club are bringing in tourists and people who will spend more in the shop and this sort of thing. So we um, were a group of fans who we noticed sort of some good displays and good atmospheres coming to our place. Remember Aris Salonica? Yeah, they came yeah. Uh, in the UEFA Cup and brought about eight thousand, and they were amazing. And you know, sometimes you go away away in Europe with City, and you can see the influence that the fans have in their own stadium, and uh, you just think, well, why can't we be like that? You know, and it's a culture difference, you know. Mm. Um, and around the time before we started, obviously there was a group at City called the Blue Alliance who had some sort of good moments, but they. It was over kind of as soon as it started, really. And there was another group called the Citizens, and there was another smaller one called um, Citizens Manchester 11. And there was an EDS game against uh, Juventus at Hyde, where a lot of these factions were all there and trying to outdo each other. And there was a bit of a standoff, and there was a couple of fights. And um, when all these groups kind of disbanded, there was a number of people in all of these groups that would kind of all want to keep it going. And um, some, some new people were brought in, and 1894 started off the back of that. So, um, We've been going about six years now, so it's still going strong. Um, and it was off the back of rival groups kind of putting the differences aside and working together. Well, how would you explain the kind of the structure of a group? How does it work as regards to how it's run? Yeah, so, I mean, the structure, there's just kind of three main areas in 1894. Uh, I look after kind of sort of um, communications and I've got a team with me. There's like there's three teams of kind of three. There's kind of nine main decision makers. Right. Although you can have like up to you know forty people on a match day helping out with things, but the three main displays are kind of, um, areas are kind of displays, um, planning, admin, and communications. So uh, the communication side is kind of media stuff, 
but also engaging with um like charities the fsa um you know working out which journalists are trustworthy and which ones aren't um the display side is allocating like roles on the day who's on the telescopics who's on the drop downs who's lifting things up at the front um if it's a protest against var or uefa or whatever um who's hanging out the leaflets in the pub and smuggling them under the coats or how we're getting <laughs> stuff in the ground yeah. um there's also like the team that does like the printing the designers running through ideas painting the banners sorting out venues um dealing with the club over things like accreditation because obviously there's a couple of guys will go in early an hour and a half before kickoff and then sometimes you can be half an hour after the game still putting things away yeah um yeah. the planning side will be stuff like kind of um web design um organizing the singing blocks uh dealing with the club on that side like um wembley blocks organising away travel, which we've done occasionally, um, and any kind of new projects. Like in the, in the first year, we had a phone app with songs on and stuff like that, so, you know, to try and raise money for, for um, a couple of surfers. So it, it rather, so if I've got an idea for a display, I'd, I'd mention it to the display team. But it's up to them whether they want to go ahead with it or not. And likewise, um, you know, the people who would put on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and that would, would be in charge of those decisions themselves sort of thing. Um, there's a lot of things we work together on, but we have our own kind of areas as well, really. And that kind of works. Well, uh, as regards to kind of the displays, I mean, you know, from, from what you've been, they get bigger and bigger and better and better. Which ones are you particularly proud of? Um, I'm proud of all of them. And it's difficult because the, um, the expectation is, is that it needs to be big for it to be noticed. The mm. club were always on to say, why don't you do them in the, um, you know, the AD stand, uh, the TV cameras are, but you know, we're not doing it for the TV audience. We're doing it for behind the goal, you know, where, where the kind of the, the more yeah. um, kind of hardcore fans are. That was the kind of the whole point. So we'd probably have more exposure if we did it in different parts of the ground. I mean, the ship one was a moving banner, but it was a, was a first kind of moving display. Even that costs three grand, you know, to, to, to raise that money. Yeah. Once that's gone, we we had no money left then for the kind of really the rest of the season. So you can do things. In the first couple of years, we were doing things every game, 100 quid here, 200 quid there, but then it wasn't really making an impact. There's an argument to say, do something every few weeks, every couple of months, really, and, and make it a big one. But the way the layout is of the ground as well is um, there's only so much you can do. There's nowhere to, for fans to hang their own banners. It's all digital banners. Mm. And we found that for things to be seen, it has to be kind of a drop down from tier two to tier one. So um, we've done a lot of things, card displays, um, ticker tape, a lot from the early days as well that people may have forgotten, um, which was a big effort at the time. And, um, you know, you know, we've been backed by fans brilliantly, uh, you know, for, for raising funds. You know, the first one uh, was about, you know, the last game of the season against West Ham, we won the league. There was that together display. I mean, that was, we were we were getting a deal there from a, a well-known, a, a blue who who's in printing and mm. that was 12 quid um, to the bottom tier of the the East End. You know, it costs a lot more now, but displays, um, I mean, people kind of have no idea how much displays are. They are absolutely, they cost a fortune, really. Well, I mean, we're going to discuss this later, but I mean, considering it kind of feeds into it directly, um, there has been some consternation recently about the Real Madrid banner uh, that you put together and then, of course, with the, the game being postponed. Uh, hopefully, it'll come back soon. Um, so, can you tell us about that? Because um, when we put on Twitter kind of any questions for you guys, uh, the first question concerned this. Um, so, kind of, what's the story behind the Real Madrid banner? Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting because obviously we were contacted by a lot of Blues, um, you know, are you doing anything for the game when everyone was pissed off about the, um, you know, the UEFA ban mm. came out at that time. And you knew that they were going to try and put that ban out just before the Madrid game to disrupt us, uh, you know, in the lead up. They could have done it at any time over those preceding two months. And there was a lot of people, obviously, who, who said, well, we'll put in, we'll put in. So we, we put the fundraiser out there. I think initially about two, three grand. And then we saw sort of a terrific um, strength of feeling. So if we, you know, we raised the figure up because we realised we can, you know, try and push for a larger scale display, which we've seen by 
hundreds of millions of people worldwide. So, um, so you could see how passionate people were about it. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, it's people need to understand is that while we've not broadcasted what we're doing about things too much, is because it's a UEFA night. If people want a display against UEFA, mm. but it, on the on a match day, the club hands ownership of the ground to UEFA so it's kind of we're going to do an anti-UEFA display (laughs) in a UEFA owned ground on a UEFA Champions League night knowing full well if we go public with that what we've got planned then the media I mean we turned down all media requests at that time because the first thing the media will say well well, are you doing this Uh, do the club know about it and that falsely implicates the club which is kind of like well are you allowing this to go ahead do you know what they're putting on it and if it's a display which you know let's face it could be um, that cost the club hundreds of thousands of pounds. It could close a stand or whatever. I mean, at the moment, we're technically banned for two years. Yeah. There's a massive, we've got to do something that the fans actually want us to say, but at the same time, uh, we've got to try and smuggle something into the ground uh, because the club cannot be complicit in anything that we know. They, you know. they don't want to know. what They know that fans want to do something. They know that there's a there's money raised, they can't just turn around and say, yeah, put a massive 60-metre band, you know, big thing down from tier three to tier one saying, fuck you away from it. You know, they'd, they'd want yeah. to know about that. So so the thing was, you know, we've got, got a really punchy, I think humorous, we've got a good display um, lined up. That money, um, you know, went on the display. Five days before the uh, game, uh, it's uh, it's been, you know, been cancelled, as we feared. Uh, now the... Potentially, the game is 7th of August, but there's no chance of any fans inside the stadium. Um, you know, there's, there's only a certain number of people from the club allowed in the stadium, and, and the idea of going to get something in at the time, you know, we can't do that. Yeah. All I'd say is, I watch this space because, I mean, there is um, the thing next week, which is the CAS um, judgment, the UEFA judgment's got a court. Yeah. Certainly, if there is an opportunity to do something, and it's... Um, uh, it's the, maybe the uh, relevant to do it at around this time, and that is something that could possibly happen. Uh, obviously, it might not be in the ground because we can't get in the ground. But yeah. we, um, if we're trying to get a message across from City fans to like hundreds of hundreds of millions of people, which is what would have happened on the Champions League night, then there's potentially an opportunity kind of next weekend because you know the world's media is going to be talking about it again, and that's saying whether we whether we get through the deal or not. Uh, I think it's maybe time to call out some of the people that have this vendetta against. Yeah. And the other thing as well is, everybody. There's only been one or two big mouths on Twitter and stuff who it, it, it's it's not um, not saying consternation. It may be like one or two people with like a premeditated uh, plan to try and discredit us or something. Right. Not the same. We've had hundreds of hundreds of people donate year in year out, completely trust us, and and you know we keep in touch with those people who. Um, that mail us privately and we speak to them. We can't, you know, we want to say to a, you know, a rival podcast and say, well, you know, you get your subscription money. How much do you spend on tea? How much do you spend on coffee? What do you spend your money on? The money is all accounted for. We don't do anything for any personal profit. It takes up all our time. It has affected personal relationship. There's people who've had, you know, divorces in it. And there's all the pressure that goes on that. And fair enough, they've asked to do that themselves. But the, um, was one or two emails privately to say, when you think it'll happen, and we said we had to say, well, we can't actually say this, that, and the other, because anything that goes out publicly, we can't implicate or falsely implicate the club. You got to just wait and see. We've never said we're not going to do it. We intend to do it, but where we can do it and how we can do it. What I can say that the thing was very, very large scale. So, to try and do something, if we can't do it in the ground, where could we do it? Will where will it have the impact? And where can we do it where it's going to get the same exposure for hundreds of people, hundreds of millions of people worldwide? It's it's a very, very difficult thing. It's not straightforward. It's just like, you know, just open up a banner outside the ground and this, that, and the other. Something that's been prepared to be maybe very big scale inside a stadium, which then will look good from all areas of the stadium. So, um, you know, it's not as if we can just, go to the Arndale Centre and drop it off the roof of there because <laughs> yeah. you're not allowed to do those things. Yeah. People need to realise, if, we, if we're being quiet about things, we're being quiet on purpose, and it, people have absolutely no idea of the situation. You know, we, know, we were 
not put in this situation, but we took it on, a challenge, and it was absolutely fantastic. And the thing was, we've been backed over and over again by supporters who trust us implicitly, and everybody's got their own opinion on what that message should say. So, you know, we're trying to you know, people say we don't know what's going to be on the message. Well, of course, because everybody's got a different opinion. So you can't, you know, 800 donators, 600 different opinions. What what can you do? You cannot please everybody all the time. That's what we've realised already. You, you can't please everybody all the time. Uh, we don't try to please everybody all the time. It's like you with the podcast, you know, it's like, you know, there's been people who say, yeah, we, we love it. And then there's someone else who say, oh, I hated it. And it, well, it's not going to stop you doing it. You... No, no. We, we, we tend to get more negative than, than positive, to be fair. <laughs> so, really well, it's usually people with, a, people with a chip on their shoulder about something, or someone's took something the wrong way, or um, on Twitter, people are, are you know having a drink and then they're, they're tweeting something and they think they can just say what they want and stuff. But, um, you know, I think at times we've had to be robust and say something back to people, but we're trying to stay out of that now. Um, anyone can say anything, but I would say to those people, you know, what are you doing to help? you doing to try and improve the atmosphere um, so the people who were involved in 1894 are the sort of people who were um, uh, turning up at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning in the rain to put out a display for a game at half one on, a, on TV and yeah. total commitment and those people are still there now you know that is the people who will you know I'm going to leave the pub an hour early I'll see my mates later and I'm going to put this out because it needs doing and you don't see people putting names to stuff you don't see egos not trying to get, gain financial gain from it, not trying to, um, you know, do this and that. It just needs doing. And um, uh, what people, I think, should realise is that if we get a big um, amount of money through, that's actually a positive because it means that um club has to then take a bit of notice and say, oh, well, fans are actually pulling in the same direction. Like Newcastle and Watford and these groups, they were raising 16 grand in a year. Um, these groups abroad were getting like, you know, they own car parks, they own pubs. There's a massive way that they can do fantastic displays every game. It's just takes years, decades to sort of build something, you know. Um, what, what what strikes me is, I mean, you, you mentioned there about the difficulty in kind of pleasing everybody and how it's an impossibility. You can't please everybody, of course. But the really fascinating thing for me is your relationship with the club because you mentioned there about taking it into the stand, into the game, and, and during that game, it's owned by UEFA, essentially, that night. And there's a real difficulty there in kind of, you know, there must be a balance you have to strike between challenging the club and putting the fans' voices across, often kind of, you know, a voice that the club may not approve of, whilst also maintaining a healthy relationship with the club. I mean, how do you strike that balance? Yeah, well, this... This game is different though because normally we get the main help we get from the club is is logistical. Right. So what happens is we started taking banners into the ground, and all of a sudden they realise that, and then they're like, then they kind of want some sort of kind of gain some control over us, which we kind of fight off. Mm. They, they want to know what we're putting on, on a what have we got planned. Usually they nick our ideas. Go, what have we got planned for this game? What we think we was going to do this, and they go, <laughs> oh, funny enough, we were going to do that as well. Have we we done that? Yeah. Absolute bullshit. But, um, so we tend to because because it's a security thing. So if we're in tier one, we need to drop something from tier four, whatever. We need access, so the security team need to know. Yeah, four or six people are going to go up there five minutes before kickoff, and then going to come down one minute before kickoff. And we know we have to be allowed to go up and do things. And if it's going to be something like you know, fuck off this or fuck off that, you're not going to be allowed to do it. So certain things. When we did um, like a VAR thing or other protests, you know, you, you, you kind of smuggle things in. You don't, you know, and they checked the bags and, and they knew. So for the Palace game, they knew somehow that there was going to be a, a protest against VAR. Right. They checked the things personally, but we, we, we managed to get things in another way. So they, they kind of respect that we do have uh, a right to voices across. But on a, on a game like this with the Madrid thing, it was so hard to scale. It's like secretly, maybe some people club like, yeah. You know, yeah, we want the fans to say something given to us. Well, they certainly couldn't tell us that, or they certainly wouldn't, you know, publicly say anything because, you know, it, it could potentially cost them a lot. So we have a, a dilemma there. And, um, you know, we would be confident that we'd, we'd, we have means and sources and things and get things in and that can be done. But yeah. in terms of it wouldn't stop us um, 
saying things, we say things privately, we say things publicly, and this has only come off the back of we've got a display and they want to know what we're doing. So the people we deal with really is not the leadership team. The people that we've got a, a bit of an impact with are the event side because they're doing something and they'll say, right, okay, 15 minutes before kickoff, we have this build-up. We need to put an advert for Nissan in. And then, you know, you've got to read out the team. You know, if you're going to do this drop-down, it needs to be six minutes. Right. The war count is at four minutes. And then we're so little things like the drop blue moon and then we had a we had a um a Twitter thing, ten and a half thousand people said bring it back and so they brought it back eventually, but there's little wins that we got there. At the same time we'll say, you know, you know, you need to get on with safe standing, you need to get on with um, reducing season ticket prices or citizens membership, this sort of thing. And it'll only go so far because at the top of the club uh, people like Soriano and Brada and that will have the mindset of we want to raise prices every year regardless. And if me and you can't afford to go, you know, tough shit, we'll get somebody else who wants the status of the season ticket. Mm. Even if they're only going 12 games a season and it's empty seat six games, they're not asked because they're getting the season ticket money in and they, and, and they just think their mindset is, well, we're in, a, we're in a race against La Liga for the most revenue, who's got the most lucrative league. And, you know, that again... If there's 10,000 empty seats in the ground, that's difficult to get the atmosphere going, you know. So we, we're going to have to – we do have some – occasionally we've had a couple of meetings about things with uh, people. But, I mean, I think City Matters will meet the leadership team more often. The, the official supporters club will have more direct contact with some on the leadership team. And that's because they're kind of more, you know, the club people sort of thing and – um, you know, the club can't favour one particular group over anybody else. They've got to listen to all sorts of opinions. They'll yeah. put a lot of things out on the in, on cities on the um, you know, on the internet and everything, and you know, they'll get twenty thousand replies. And what each person, you know, the points that we'll make will be different to what someone else might make. We'll talk about completely different things to to some other groups, sort of thing, especially around atmosphere. But well, a lot of the time, it goes in one ear and out the other. Well, I'm, I'm sure. I, I mean, to be honest, I don't envy you one bit with having to deal with the club and, and the kind of the structure that they're in because, well, it, it's just a kind of massive, a massive. Um, you know, I, in terms of my own personal experiences, very being, hierarchical, Steve. You know, so exactly, like the Palace yeah. guys, you know, they they can they can sort of ring up, you know, their chairman and say we're doing this, and then he'll he'll pick the packet up. We can't do Caldoun or or whatever, you know, so there's different layers, you know, yeah. there's lots of supporters at a higher level who like what we do and stuff, but then they, you've got to keep listening to them, you know, we try and, if I, if I want to ring, or someone wants to ring Vicky Kloss or something, you know, you can't ring them every week, you've got to maybe ring them once a year, once every two, and it's got to be something that's actually really important and something that they've, you know, is something that's not going to, you know, you've got to pick and choose your battles. Absolutely. Ultimately, if there's, yeah. pe- there's people above her, that makes decisions and say, well, we need to have our revenues up by 35 million this time next year. It, you know, the, the, the club will then present a thing and say, well, the fans are saying this, and then they'll go, well, that's great, but then we actually think we should do this anyway. And it's, you know, what we do, unless people have the, you know, the bottle and the bollocks to actually walk out the ground or something and and, and do something on mass like the Scousers did a few years ago, that's the only time they've done a. Um, of price freeze at City because they thought maybe we'll do something of the same and uh, yeah. well, we just you know we'd like to have done that but we weren't sure we have the support overall. One of these things we're trying to do now is is instead of having membership in the hundreds, get a, you know membership in the thousands because at least then if people um, are speaking with maybe the same sort of voice, we've got more chance of getting the club to listen on things. Um, especially at the time where people are losing the jobs, people have got no job security. You know, bubble has burst in football. They're going to have to listen and 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 change the pricing structure. I think. Well, with that in mind, you mentioned uh, the membership there. Um, is it free membership available from Monday? Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So we're just putting the finishing touches to like a a new website. The membership scheme normally goes thirty first of May to first uh, of June to thirty first of May. Right. And we've done it because that's helped fund things, and it's been great. But and there always seems a bit of them and them and us like, oh, well, we know what they do. We never know how to get involved or this sort of thing. Well, I mean, it, a free membership initially just, you know, you kind of go on the database, but then you get to pick and choose displays when they go ahead. But there are things in there which will be like, you know, do you want to be 
um, going forward for any sort of safe standing section or what do you think about this? And then we can give those numbers directly. Look, yes, 5,000 yeah, yes. people are saying, we want this now, and these are the people that would go into a section if you made it. There's nothing happening in the stadium at the moment. Why don't you do it now? Why are we, why are we falling behind United and these other clubs in terms of getting these these sections done? But, you know, everything in their eyes, is in certain people's eyes, is all pound signs, you know. And, you know, in a way, you understand why, because with they've got to have enough money coming in and they will, they will try to... If you look around that ground... Even the digital boards and stuff, they'll look at every single part of that ground and go, right, okay, where can we get an extra two, three, four million pounds out of that corner there? Yeah, yeah. Let's put a bar yeah. in yeah. in that bit. Yeah. Let's put another themed pub in that bit or whatever. Even things like, you know, sponsors have to have like three mentions or whatever during the half time break and so everything is like, you know, they've sold every single part of <laughs> yes. yeah. you know, we're more commercial than United. You know, the things we used to hate about United, we, we are, you know, the same now, you know. Um, that's the way it's gone. That's the price of success, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, let, let's let's look at the the atmosphere because that's obviously a, a big factor at the Etihad uh, and, a, and a big kind of failing on our part. Really, kind of there's, there's times where you know in, in the discussion we had before this pod, uh, I mentioned that where I sit, it, I feel that if I join in with any singing that's coming from another part of the ground, I just get you know dirty looks from people. It's like, what are you doing? Sit down. Uh, and it just very much feels like there's only a couple of sections of the ground where you can really let rip and really kind of sing. Um, yeah. is, is that the case? And how do you improve upon that? I mean, that's one hell of a task, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, just going back to um, when the club, so we've not moved any fans at all. That's where other groups made mistakes. You no, know, we don't have the power to move any other groups, but the club were wanting to do the third tier. So what happened was then there was going to be a... a there was a meeting where the club came to a fans meeting that we organised and apparently they did a vote on you know, where should we move the away fans and they, everybody wanted the away fans moved so we have one end yeah. and the club or the police etc just wouldn't do it and it's still the case now where we don't have one end and it's not wanted. Yeah. We said well, the nearest best thing is if we can get that block that's free uh, 114, 115 um so it means that the kind of the, the east and the Kipats corner can hear the south tier one a bit more. And if there's a louder noise, then that would hopefully hit the rest of the great stadium. Um, what what? Because obviously the club didn't want people standing up in tier three because it was so steep yes. that it was dangerous. Yeah. They don't want the kind of you know the flagpoles up there and stuff yeah. like that. So the, the idea was, I mean, the flags if, if like came back because off the back of um, fans can't bring their own banners in as much. So there was digital display. So it was kind of an area where at least there's kind of a bit of colour. But the idea of, of trying to merge the two, two singing areas was, was because um, um, people could hear each other. We would still get two or three songs all start at the same time. And then you'd have like silence, and but no, nothing kind of coordinated. What happened was we had like 700 people said they would move to this, this block, which fits 1,150. Obviously, then people wanted to go with the mates. They wanted to move as at the back or in the middle. So at the back or at the front, but not really in the middle. So there was a bit of a gap in the middle always, which was kind of anyone went in there. Right. And then what happened was when so we got got all this thing together and then then that this, we didn't know that they were going to do the pricing. For tier three ended up being like half the price of tier one. So I think the first year we did it, it was 625 in tier one it was about 350 quid or something to sit in tier three and of course that fit to come from the you know the, the, the deeper parts of the ground sort of thing yeah. people you know want why shouldn't people take you know if people offered a great seat for 350 of course you're going to take it you know that's why shouldn't you take it you know everyone's skint so a lot of people you know over half the people that were supposed to go into our block end up going to split between 314 and 317 and that's where you've got the problem where they want to stand, they want to get it going, but it's there's, there's kind of not enough there to make it go across the, the whole ground. So you've got singers now in three areas, tier three, tier one, and the, and the corner. And then if you're in the north stand, sometimes you'll see the noise coming from different parts of the ground and you don't know which one to join in with. Yes. Yeah. So this is the, now the kind of the one end thing has been missed all the way through. So we just encourage people to try and come in where we are if possible because the bigger body that's there, when we do get the cup games, when tier three then comes down, 
away fans get tier three, you get the tier three people coming down into tier one. It can be very good, it can be really loud because everyone's together again like they were in the old days. But obviously, when you increase the capacity from 47 to 55, you've got kind of 8,000 new fans in there as well. And every time you have a capacity increase, obviously, then people don't know each other, people getting to know each other again. So, you know, there's that side of things as well. There's, there's all sorts of um, um, things, and, and, and they keep putting the prices up even year, like stealth price rises, yeah. means that one or two people drop away each year, you know. So, and if someone can get a value ticket at 299 or somebody realizes the kids are at want to start going with them, they'll move in the north stand and go in the family stand and stuff. Yes, so, exactly. yeah. um, it all needs sorting out. And um, the what can you say? I think there's a media narrative which is city fans are all shit, it's always quiet, there's no atmosphere, it's complete bollocks. I mean, we're no worse than anyone else, really. There's there are times when it is quiet and there's nothing we can do, and sometimes it's just a few people singing and it's not catching on. But yeah. the top six games, the top eight games, there's a lot of games where things are, you know, some of the European games have been really, really good and really loud and stuff. And um, even some of the games where, you know, we came from behind and we stuck with them and, you know, last minute and fight the end. I mean, the crowd were kind of patient. In the in the very early days of us, the Pellegrini era, the, there were some great games where there were a lot of goals going in. I remember the Arsenal 6-3, the Spurs 6-0. There were some amazing atmospheres. Um, and um, people forget that, and it's easy when it's a quiet game. Everyone goes on Twitter and goes, "Oh, it was shit today," and it, you know it's not always the case. And you know, um... Absolutely. well, I mean, the thing is, I think what gets with me is you find a losing battle to an extent because we're City. You know, we are an extraordinary side with an extraordinary manager. We kind of batter teams, you know, on a regular basis at home. That brings with it a real problem, doesn't it? Because I mean, I've done it myself. You, you go 2-0 up and you kind of sit back and enjoy the football. You know, you're, you're suddenly at, you're at the theatre. You're watching this brilliant football team. But it's and, everything else, isn't it? You know, it's, it's like in the old days, the atmosphere looked after itself. There was no... It was... It was yeah. it, we, were, the, the, we were shit, but the atmosphere... Exactly. Was, everybody because, was, in, it's because we were shit. in that stadium wanted to... Was there for the right reasons. They weren't there because we were like, you know, some, you know, Hollywood club or something. Yeah. League nights, you know, it's hard because... You know, the, the club will give out loads of tickets for, um, you know, they'll advertise tickets, like just as people see, oh, I'd like to go and see Barcelona or something. That's what it is. They're, they're, they're touting the tickets and the, yeah. touting the, the yeah. hotel things, the Thomas Cook things. And you see them in all different flags. Like, and obviously, because they didn't have the booze on the, the Champions League nights, people want the night of um, having a drink with the mates and this sort of thing. That was part of the night as well. And, you know, the thing that a lot of people preferred the league games to the to the European games because it just wasn't the same, you know, wasn't the same. Absolutely, people like the League Cup nights, you know, because it's cheaper and you know it seems to be a better night than some of the European nights at times, you know. Um, but everybody went in the old days was there for the right reasons because it was shit. They were everyone was like a hundred percent loyal fan, and you know, you know, a lot of people who were like um, along for the ride now. And um, the other thing as well is is just. You know, the bars and the service, you know, so many people will leave at 28 minutes, 32 minutes, go for a pint. I mean, you, uh, go back at half an hour and then come back uh, an hour into the, you know, 15 minutes into the second half. Yeah. We've missed half an hour of the game because the service is so shit to get a pint, you know, to you know, go and have two pints. Yeah. And then when they've had a couple of pints, they feel more confident. So the atmosphere comes back because everyone's singing and stuff. But, you know, in the old days, it was, you could stay in the pub till five to three, it's, you know, one pound a pint, you'd go and pay three, five quid, go on the kipax. You know, it, it was working class people, working man's game, but it's not the same now. You know, it's um, nouveau, a lot of nouveau rich crowd. You know, we, we always wanted, we, you know, we always wanted the bigger crowds, but, you know, it's assimilating everybody. It's, yeah. you know, we're a broad yeah. church, aren't we, you know? Does it kind of frustrate you when you see the atmosphere, for example, against Liverpool last season? which was, you know, organic. It was a game that we needed to win. Everyone knew what was at stake. Vietti had basically just, it was electric that night from first minute to the 90th. Um, it was amazing. Um, I, I, I'm sure, obviously, you, like me, buzzed off that massively, but was it also frustrating that you could see this is what we could be? Yeah, no, I think we just accept that that's the way it is these days. And right. maybe a few years ago, we used to feel like that and think, oh, why well, can't be like that every game? But we just realise it can't be like that every game because people are not going to be up for it. 
against, you know, Sheffield United in the same way that they're playing Liverpool yeah. or United. It's the same, you know, it's um, that Liverpool game, it was on the back of the coach uh, being smashed up. It was it was everything, you know, it was like, it was, it was everything. It was also the, um, we'd lost the derby the, 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 day, the game before, being yeah. two up and stuff, and we just really wanted to, really wanted to try and turn it around. And, you know, it was everything. It was the Sarni goal disallowed. It was everything, you know, it was just... Um, um, we accept though that you know people are not going to be you know up for Watford on a Wednesday night unless yeah. it was a title decider. But of course, you know everybody who comes to our place now will see City as the biggest scalp. So, you know, you'll have all the away fans coming to our place and uh, you know out, trying to outsing us. But when they're playing Burnley or something, their own fans are shit. You know, because <laughs> exactly. it's not again. Exactly. So. It's just we we've now become the from the underdog. We've now become the the team that's you know to be uh, hunted down. But you know, you've got to maximise the the, the the times when it is really loud, and then just try and get improvements on the game where it could be anything. It could be. Uh, a bone crushing challenge, it could be a sending off, it could be something that an injustice from the referee, something that gets the crowd going. And this year, a lot of game, it was like I remember the Villa game, and it was um, it was really really quiet. And then all of a sudden, there was the, the VAR decisions, and I got um, I think one or two of the goals went to VAR, and the whole grounds went absolutely berserk, didn't it? You know, yeah, and something. Yeah, yeah. So it takes something to make the crowd spur into action, you know. And also, if it's if it's a half twelve kickoff. And, you know, you have to, it's not like the old days where you would always get play at three on a Saturday and you know that you could be back at home. I'd, I'd be back at home at, you know, quarter past five or something, get the bus home or something. Yeah. Um, it's not like that now. You know, you, you're talking an hour, an hour in the car park, getting out of the car park. You're talking massive, you know, if you can't, don't leave the ground five minutes before the end, you're in a half an hour queue for the tram. Yeah. You, yeah. Everything has changed, you know, and so people, People's priorities are not just, oh, I need to sing myself silly today. It's, I want to go and have a couple of pints. I want to enjoy myself. And um, I don't want to be told I've got to sing today. You know, ultimately, then people will look at us and say, oh, what difference are you making? It's quiet. But people have just got to take it on themselves and, and think, well, okay, the, the players need us today. Well, people think the players always need him. But I think we do, you know. Yeah, I think it's a really good I'd point. I like to see people you. treat the home games like an away game. Your people act differently at away games, don't they? Treat it as a day out. They'll, they'll drink more. They'll they'll be up for it more. Mm. You could do that at home games as well. Yeah, I'm, but I do think it's a really good point about telling people to, you know, to sing and how we respond to that as British people, really, because I see some of the, you know, I could think when Bayern Munich used to come over in the Champions League and you'd look at them and think, wow, that is really impressive. But then you think, we'd never do that, you know, because they're just doing it in such a uniform fashion and that it's yeah. joyless. It's all it's almost joyless, whereas we're far more yeah. individualistic as, as British people, I guess. So, um, yeah, I think it does come down to... There must be something in that. The, like Germany, Italy, Spain, I'm probably saying the wrong thing here, but, you know, they're like fascist countries, don't they? They all like to have one person organising I've, I've them. I've said all, the same about... Like sheep. Yeah. I've said the same about German teams. I, I have, and, and uh, I always felt a bit kind of, you know, saying it. But you think, well, then they might be a tell someone what to do, they'll just do the complete opposite, won't they? You know, exactly. you know, yeah. so we can't. All we can do is we do our own thing, and then that's it. And if people want to join in, that's great. But I think the the point we're making is that if more people got involved, we'd have a bigger voice generally with the club. And what the club love it is if someone's having a pop up on Twitter, they they're divided themselves that they can't even agree themselves. Mm. That's great. They want mm. divide and conquer. They want us to be divided as a fan, as a fan base, because then they can stealth rise and say, right, okay, you lot will rise you by 1%, and then you lot will rise you by 7%. Half the people are going, well, I'm, I'm quite happy with my season ticket price because we, you know, we're winning things, we're getting good value. Then the other half go, well, it's terrible. I'm being absolutely screwed here. It's going up £60. Then the following season, they do the opposite. The ones that had a big rise, they give them a tiny rise and the ones that had a tiny rise they'll put a big rise on over the course of two years they've still risen both but they've yeah, done it in different yeah. times and then so when we say what do you think and then we have the people saying yeah we're really alright with it and half the people are saying um, no this is crap we put that out there and all of a sudden then people are going you're 
doing the club's work for you. It's not what we're actually saying, you know, so there's nothing you can do apart from keep going, keep going, and just, you know, keep going. Well, you said, um, talking about kind of the away fans, the importance of away fans, and uh, that really kind of brings home where we are now and what we're facing in the foreseeable future. There's not going to be any away fans, not going to be any home fans, there's not going to be any atmosphere at all. Will this, in the next six months or a year, God forbid, will this really bring it home to football and to the authorities, the importance that fans play, in, in not just on match day, but in football in general? I don't know, because they have real kind of disdain for us really anyway. I mean, if the TV deal was lower... They wouldn't even be playing, would they? You know, yeah, yeah, they're, they're playing to satisfy sponsors, not not supporters. I mean, the thing is, I know the the R rates down, and um, you know, it kind of um, seems to be coming away from the danger zone sort of thing. But there are people who are still being shielded. There's people who can't see each other. There's people who've lost their jobs. There's people who are furloughed. I mean, I'm furloughed. Um, don't know when I'm going back in. If I'm going back in. So for some people. Um, seeing, I think the, somebody said that you know it's going to be good for the morale of the country for football to start up, yeah. regardless. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I think if, I mean, if if there's null and void of the season, I think and Liverpool missed out in the league, I think there'd be nothing better for the morale of the country. Than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But seriously, it's not just about them, is it? You know, it's about a point generally about football. It's like uh, they're just doing it obviously for the sake of. For the sake of money, and then Absolutely, next year, yeah. you know, so we we've got something ready to go publicly about, you know, this is a great time to reduce you know, the season prices. Made it privately, but we need to maybe put it publicly because it's the only time that the club actually go. Why did you put that out there? Why didn't you tell us about it? Well, because we're fucking independent. You know what, what we're supposed to do? If we, mm. we ask you privately three times, you ignore us. Then what we're supposed to do? We've got to put something out there, and they don't like it. But um. Uh, we, you know, what, is the season going to restart the the new season twenty 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 one? You know, they said we don't know. We haven't got a clue. Uh, football fans are not going to be in the stadium. So how are they going to do seasons? They, they still be, it's too early. They just don't know. But um, right. there should be commitment to say at the earliest opportunity when fans can go back in the ground. Then that you know they have to they have to relook at the the prices because um, I think there's loads of people who just won't be able to afford to go. Or, but, how many people are selling the city stuff on um, the internet yeah. at the minute? Yeah. The merchandise, the memorabilia, the, sh- the shirts, and that I see it all the time. Yeah. People are really skint, you know. Um, so, Dante, what's your what's your take on it? Then what's your guess on it as it regards the next season? Let's say, you know, hypothetical situation, it starts a bit later. It's not going to just kind of you know follow on from this truncated season. But let's say, kind of October time, there's a new season, and for the first say, three months, there's no fans. How the hell are they going to do that? What, what do you think they are going to do? I know, because we're starting already on the 17th of June, so, you know, if people just carry on watching it as normal and Sky get record figures for the for the Premier League, then they'll think, oh, great, you know, we'll carry on as normal. People don't mind this. Yeah. If people turn off and don't watch it, I mean, obviously, I, know, I want to know the scores, and it's, I'm going to feel very weird. I'm going to see how, how it's going to be. You know, I want, want, I want City to win any game of football but I'm not allowed to go in the ground. So it's just going to be weird. I just simply don't know. And but the main concern is, is with this whole thing is, again, labelling the fans don't trust people. We're going to do neutral venues for some of the games, yeah. like City yeah. Liverpool. Yeah. And where, where, the, where the fuck are the neutral venues going to be? Goodison or Old Trafford? I mean, what, 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 what are they going to do? Do you think there's going to be more trouble if there's no one in the ground than if 55,000's there? It's stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah. If putting the games on TV, it means that people will congregate anyway to watch them. If you know people are celebrating, if Liverpool celebrate a title win, they're out in the streets and yeah. whatever. But they've already, yeah, the government have already let Cheltenham go ahead. They've already let the Athletic Home Madrid game go ahead, where people have died off the back of these events. And it's like, well, what's worse? You're labelling football fans as you can't be trusted. You've got to make it a new because you know you're all going to turn up and that. You've already made decisions that have lost thousands of lives. It would need to tell us, you know, that we can't be we can't be trusted. It's just a, a ridiculous situation. This whole kind of trying to find neutral grounds. Um, you know, I completely agree that it's offensive. It's insulting to um, to fans. And, and above all else, surely in this pandemic now, we can stop. Kind of certainly from the government's perspective, stop just 
talking about is like with fans, with people, with a public. We, we've got jobs, we've got families, you know. It's like this is far more important than just football right now. And so if you well, were to... say the other week that footballers need to go up to the mark and stuff, and we felt like clubs should come up to the mark, but they're talking about footballers. Well, footballers will do a lot of work for charity themselves oh, and yeah. make donations and the quiet. And they, they held these people out as scapegoats. And the media said to me, Mark Hancock, oh, are you going to take a pay cut as well then? He was like, uh, uh, no. And then, so the same people that they're saying, oh, these people are, are overpaid. And now they, they're using them and saying, well, yeah, they're good for the morale of the country. So they're asking them to see that. Just government people just never have understood football. Fans never understood football, really. Yeah. And when they do understand it, they use it as a vehicle for kind of, you know, PR purposes, such as Labour, for example. And, you know, remember kind of Tony Blair and Kevin Keegan playing headed football and all the rest of it and Labour rules. Oh, yeah, but... Tony Blair, the Newcastle fan who's never been to a Newcastle exactly. game. Exactly, yeah. yeah, and David Cameron with his kind of Aston Villa, West Ham, Villa, can't make up his yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah. so, well, let's kind of move on to um, something I want to talk about with you, you guys and your work with the Homeless Project in Manchester. Uh, or is it, Sorry, is it called Homeless Project Manchester? Um, and how... No, the, yeah, so basically I think oh, this has not really started yet. It's going to start shortly, but... Um, I mean, we get asked to help various kind of campaigns all the time, really. Yeah. I mean, like we recently gave hundreds to food banks and we've got involved with Don't Buy the Sun and um, Rainbow Laces and stuff like that over the years. But I think there's a danger that people expect us to be like a pressure group or simply we think that we're bandwagon jumping on anything that's going around at the time. That's not the case. You know, we're primarily about the atmosphere and, and displays. And so I think we've... So the best thing to do is just just pick one kind of charity a year to try and help them a bit more. Then people understand, you know, our job is the stuff inside the ground, not outside the ground, you know. Um, so it's just one of the guys in our in our group um, has been a volunteer for this charity in Manchester for a, for a few years. Um, Project Manchester, Project Homeless Manchester. I've never heard them myself until recently. Mm. But he was saying that um, what they tend to do is hand out clothes to the homeless and also food. Um, sleeping bags, tents, um, they pay for like taxi fares and rooms for people for a night and stuff like that. So um, the money raised will go towards those sort of things. But I think they feel that um, at the moment, you know, homeless people are getting some help, but obviously once things um, settle down again, there's going to be more people on the streets. Uh, there's going to be more people in crisis that won't get the help. So I think the idea is that, um, you know, off the back of this economic situation, trying to, getting and help people where we can and we'll certainly be be doing some um deliveries and stuff at some point and getting close to people but there's been a, a shortage in donations but it was simply off the and we're going to do some t-shirts that we'll sell and we can give the profit yeah, it was simply just to try and pick one charity i think in the future that the, the membership will be able to suggest something and we'll go with it but you know we, we get asked all the time and i think then people just think we are like you know one thing, one size fits all. We, we can't, yeah. we, you know, we've got a limited number of people who are doing jobs and we just can't help everybody, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, mate. It's uh, been a really interesting and illuminating chat and, and I'm hoping that there's people listening in who kind of are just aware of you guys, um, you know, now know a lot more and kind of better informed and it's good that we've got groups out there kind of looking out for fans, uh, for the best interest of fans um, and every club has them and every club needs them so um, yeah all power to you and yeah let's just see where the future holds because it's going to be a very like, kind of final question really and I know we've already kind of touched on this but just from a personal perspective as regards to you know the 894 group and what you yourself and your involvement in it it's going to be a really strange year isn't it for you with kind of you know all that's going on yeah, but it depends what goes on. We just don't know what's going to go on. Obviously, the games aren't um, going on for fans to attend. But we have this in the summer where, in the, in the summer holidays, yeah. people think that we do nothing, but we don't. There's always things, you know, there's normally like a fixture list and you plan things around games, you, you work out what money's coming in, what we need to prioritise on. And as, in, you know, each time we'll have a different possibility to, to, to attack. So at the moment, you know, there's nothing going on in the ground about safe standing why we're not what putting a section in. I know it might be difficult at the moment with um social distancing. I was distancing, gonna say, but, is that is that sort of step back now? Is that kind of, you know Well I, I think United have committed to a trial and they're not saying they're not going to do it. So it, it could be a commitment to a trial at some stage. It doesn't mm. have to be the first second that the everyone goes back, but it could be a trial at some stage. Yeah. But there's always something, you know, it's um 
there is stuff that's going on. This is a Europe-wide problem. You know, there's, you know, um, the UEFA Champions League, the, the expansion around that. You know, there's always something that fans can have a voice on with. And, um, you know, it's a good time for us to get the like, look at your pricing structure, look at your yeah. You know, what you're charging for citizens membership would you have more funds going to games you know every single game if instead of charging 35 quid and 25 quid for citizens you made it you know 20 quid and 10 quid you know it's just you know you might find it's easier for people to to go to the odd game and stuff you know that's what it is it's um football's at a crossroads which is they're going to try and carry on as normal and say you know football's bubbles not burst we want to mm, see out the season yeah. see out the sponsors yeah. but you know i think they need to be aware that um of fans feelings which is you know we're not happy with this we're not happy with the way it just you know we're just being pushed aside and not being consulted on anything and um uh best thing that people can do is is, is organize whilst this is going on um, if we can increase our membership, increase our voice, um, just means we can be a bit more forceful um, with the club. Yeah. Well, the best time to remodel a house is when you're not living in it. So I guess, you know, now, you know, with that house being football, now is the time to put some kind of remodeling down and kind of reimagine it and, and for how football can be and, and really to an extent what it used to be as well. Um, and this is the thing. I mean, like, so we get we work with so many different groups here and abroad and stuff. And there'll be a, this this portrayal, like I say, of oh, city fans, they're, they're all new fans, and you know. But we get on with all the fans, you know, the smaller clubs, the non-league clubs, the League Two clubs, and stuff. Who remember us being yeah. down there, you know, yeah. and the, the Oldhams and that sort of thing. And it's like, you know, if so, in Blackpool, we're having their problems with the Oysters and stuff. I mean, we you know, we're very much supportive of them and this sort of thing. Um, because, you know, just because we're all right now, you know, we've been there. We, yeah. we had all that. So uh, it, it's, people think that we don't care about anything else that's going on, but if we should care. You know, we should be interested in if Barry's going out of business. You know, everyone was, you know, we're all gutted about that, you know. So yeah. um, there's plenty that we can be getting on with. Well, thank you very much, mate, and uh, all the best with getting on with it. Um, thanks for joining me, and to all the listeners, hope you enjoyed that, and stay safe, stay well, and forever up the blues.